This is Beyond Reading the Bible, where we connect you with the living Word. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Randy McCracken. And I'm Lindsay Kennedy. And Lindsay, the purpose for our podcasts are to help people better understand how to go deeper in the Word of God. And so we're trying to share different things that we've learned that have enriched our understanding of the Bible. In our first podcast, we talked about getting the big picture. And one of the things we looked at was just the importance of knowing the books of the Bible. Uh, And maybe some people don't realize it, but there are actually different orders of the books of the Bible. We're talking specifically about the Hebrew Old Testament, having a different order of the books as compared to our English Bibles. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. It might sound like a very abstract idea, but I think that there's a lot of insight that we can gain by comparing the differences between the order of the books of the Hebrew Bible and the books of the English Bible. That's right, Randy. I definitely think that there's a real benefit in knowing this Hebrew order, and I really do think there there are gains from adopting it and thinking in those terms. I know that when it comes to understanding individual books of the Bible, really you can study any book on its own and really gain a lot of insight. But just as where where you place a word in a sentence, just how that can change the meaning of a sentence, so it is also with the placement of the books in the Bible. It can really influence the way we read these books and how we see them, but they're fitting in context, the context of the, the canon. If you were to take the sentence, Jim loves Sally, and you're to add the word only anywhere mm-hmm. in that sentence, depending on where you placed it, it would change the, the meaning quite a lot. So you could say only Jim loves Sally, or Jim only loves Sally, or Jim loves Sally only. Mm-hmm. And depending on where you place those, it, it gives you a different meaning, and it, it emphasizes something different. And that's, that's similar to how it works with the Hebrew Old Testament, I think, compared to the English order of the Old Testament that it can affect the overall meaning and message, the way that we we read them in context and understand them. So what this is known as is, it's probably a term that our listeners are familiar with, the the term Tanakh, which is really an abbreviation of three words. Um, So it's it's just taking those three individual words and putting them together and and adding a a vowel in between. Mm -hmm. So you have the first one is the Torah, and that's otherwise known as the Pentateuch or the Law the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And that's the same in the English order. But then you've got the the prophets, or the Nevi'im, and that's split in half with the former prophets and the latter prophets. The former prophets being Joshua through Kings, and the latter prophets being Isaiah through the Twelve, otherwise known as the Minor Prophets. And then the third division is the Ketuvim, or the writings. And that is really everything else. That's Psalms, Chronicles, Ruth, Lamentations, even Daniel. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a bit surprising to people when we normally it think is, of Daniel yeah. as a prophet. Exactly. So there's some differences there. And if you were to pick up a, like a Jewish Bible, even the Jewish translation into English of the Old Testament, you'll have them in this order. Um, if you were to open up a Hebrew Bible, the odds are that, that you would find it in this same order. And we really think this goes back to Jesus' time and, and even a little bit before, that this is the way they conceived of their Bible. So compared with the English order, we might think this is a little bit strange 
to why would you have Daniel separated from the prophets? That doesn't seem right, and, and so on. The English Old Testament is structured by Western concepts of genre. So the way we think in the West in terms of genre where you, you don't put your comic books with your DVDs, you don't put your fiction with your non-fiction, you've got your fiction separated into different sections there. And that's how we do it. We, we don't want to get these confused. And this is a very Western concept. And so we would think in terms of law, so the same as the Hebrew, but then we'll have history. So mm -hmm. you've got Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings, but then you also include anything else that discusses history, um, such as Ruth and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah and so on. That, that's all the history. Let's put all the history together in the same place. And then, well, another one is poetry. We have poetry such as Job and Psalms and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes being more poetic. And th So let's put all those books together. And then the prophets will... That's a strange that's a strange genre, isn't it, to our modern Western ears? Well, let's put all those together, anything that's that's like that. So that's how it works in English, as we think in terms of genre, and even in, in the ancient world, they would have thought in the in the West at least, they would have thought in these terms as well. Which is probably where this division came about, where right. taking the, the Eastern Old Testament to the West and trying to make sense of it to, to their eyes and ears and how, how they hear it and understand it and think about it. Yeah, that's right. And um, so as we compare the differences between our English order, which we're not 100% sure where that order comes from, but a lot of people think that it stems from the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible known as the Septuagint. Uh, certainly if you go to the Septuagint, the books are in the order that we have them in English. Uh, so, as you said, somewhere between this transfer from the East to the West, uh, this order that we are accustomed to in our English Bibles developed. But we're going to look at uh, the Hebrew uh, order today because people are less familiar with it. And uh, as you said, Lindsay, it seems to be the order that, that Jesus followed. And I think you're going to share some passages of Scripture with us mm -hmm. along those lines. So let's just get into talking about... Uh, the Tanakh. Yeah, exactly. So when it comes to this, this concept, if this is new to our listeners, they may think perhaps this, this is strange. I've, I've never heard of this before. Um, does this mean my Bible is wrong? And that we definitely don't want to be saying that. But this is not that strange. And this, in fact, has, has a lot of evidence and history behind it. For example, we have external evidence, as in external to the Bible. In history, we have evidence of ancient Jewish documents that refer to this order the law, prophets, and writings. But then we also have internal evidence or biblical evidence, evidence within the Bible, uh, such as Luke 24, 44 through 47. Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in, notice the following, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And it goes on and describes everything is written about the Christ, that he would suffer and rise from the dead. Mm -hmm. But you notice he follows this law, this order of law, prophets, and psalms. And so what course, does he say psalms instead of writings, Lindsay? Yeah, exactly. That's a good question. And there's a couple of ways of working it out. It's, I think the, the most sense is that the psalms being the first and, and the largest book in the writings, that it really summarizes that whole collection. Mm -hmm. Often the, the more predominant or important 
will be mentioned first. Right. Or even in the uh, first word of each Old Testament book being the, the title mm-hmm. for the Hebrew version. Which may right? also be new to some of our mm-hmm. listeners, that the, the titles for some of the Hebrew books are different from our mm-hmm. English mm-hmm. titles. Uh, particularly in the, the books of the law, each book is named after the first word or first few words mm-hmm. in that book. Mm-hmm. So Genesis, Hebrew word Bereshit, means in the beginning. So uh, Jewish people call the book of Genesis in the beginning, mm-hmm. Bereshit. Great, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's following that same sort of idea. So Jesus, he's not thinking so much that, well, you'll find me in the law and then the prophetic books and the Psalms, but not the history books and <laughs> not yeah. these other books. But if he's following this this Old Testament order, the Hebrew order, which we think he is, then he's actually thinking of the whole Bible, the mm-hmm. whole Old Testament. That's right. Yeah. The Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. So the law, prophets, and the writings. So this is one example of how Jesus thought of his Bible. Of course, Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament. And when he thought of the Bible, he thought in these terms. This also explains many other references to the Old Testament and even the writings of Paul, for example, where he'd say, in the law and the prophets. Mm-hmm. And again, he's not thinking Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy and then Isaiah through the Twelve. He's thinking again in, in the terms of the Old Testament. Right, because sometimes the Jewish people in the first century would summarize the Old Testament just by those two divisions, yes. even though technically there's three. Exactly, and I think even, even further is that sometimes... The whole Old Testament is summarized in, under the title, the Torah. Mm-hmm. Even um, mm-hmm. There are places, I think, in Romans where he, he says, as it says in the Torah, or the law, and then he quotes from one of the prophets. Right. So I think it, it fits under this sort of subheading, so to speak. The it's that idea the of whatever comes first and mm-hmm. whatever is the most important kind of becomes the term that encompasses everything. Right. Yeah, so for him, so if you want to boil it down, it's, it's the law. You want to break it, break it down to its most simple thing, it's the law. And then there's a second passage that I was thinking of as well, which is in Luke, again, Luke 11, where Jesus says in verse 49, he's referring to the prophets, and he says, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Now, what Jesus is doing is he's referring to all these prophets. And interestingly, he's including Abel, which is Mm -hmm. a different thing for another podcast, really. But he's going all the way back to Genesis, Abel, and Genesis 4, really. And then he's talking about Zechariah. And we may immediately think, okay, so he's, he's saying from A to Z, all the prophets from A to Z or A to Abel Z. Abel to Zechariah, exactly. right. But of course, in the Hebrew alphabet, that doesn't quite work, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so if, when Jesus is speaking, he's not really saying A to Z because that, yeah. that character is not the final one in their alphabet. And then if we're thinking Zechariah in our English Bibles, which is close to the end yes. of the Old Testament, then we get puzzled because mm-hmm. we're like, well, wait a minute, that Zechariah didn't die uh, yes. as a martyr. Yes. But one Zechariah did die, and that's in the book of Chronicles. And so this, again, I think confirms the Old Testament Hebrew order, which begins in Genesis and ends in Chronicles, in that ordering. So Jesus really is saying from Genesis 4 to Chronicles 24, which is really virtually the entire Old Testament, right. beginning from Abel. So he's, he's speaking in a, in a um, 
comprehensive way here, the whole thing, the whole package. So again, he's thinking, we have this, at least so far from just this evidence, he's got Genesis all the way to Chronicles. That's a beginning and end, and that's the same in the Hebrew order that we know of. And also he has Psalms being the first or the most, the foremost in that third collection, which again fits with the Old Testament Hebrew order as we know it. There's only so much we can do in this episode, so we're going to link to a few extra resources. Mm -hmm. um, if you, so if you want to look at our website and the, this podcast in particular, the link to this individual podcast, you'll find some more resources that, that unpack this a little bit more and maybe some book recommendations and so on. And also a listing of the order of the Hebrew yeah. books of yes, the Old Testament. We don't want to just sit here and read out a list to everyone, and so it's much better if you can just look at that on your own and, and see the order. One example of a difference would be Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Do you want to explain that, Randy? Sure, Lindsay. Uh, we're used to, in our Bibles, seeing First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, but these books were originally individual books. How did they get divided? We're not 100% sure, but it seems like it was during the time when the Hebrew Bible was translated into the Greek, what we call the Septuagint. The reason for that is, is that the Hebrew originally has no vowels, and so the text was much more compact and could fit on an ancient scroll. But it would have certainly been a very big scroll, but it could fit. When it's translated into Greek, you have more words, more vowels, that sort of thing. You're going to need more room. And so it, it's going to take more than one scroll when you have a very large book like these books. So we end up with First and Second Samuel, for instance, as opposed to just the book of Samuel. Mm. And another way in which this order is different is the way that it switches between narrative and commentary, and commentary mm -hmm. and narrative. So what I mean by that is, after the law, the, the Torah, you have Joshua, through kings, being the narrative portion, the former prophets. Then in the latter prophets, which you have Isaiah through the Twelve, that switches to commentary. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of intersection between those two, where the prophets are actually commenting on things that are happening in the story of Joshua through Kings. And so they're commenting on the same events. So you have the narrative unfolding the story, but then you, it's almost like you have your director's commentary. You, you can switch your DVDs to switch on the audio portion. Then you have people saying, now, during this time, this is what was going on, and this is what we really think about this. And they're really commenting on where people went wrong and, and what they need to be doing to get right and how they're following or not following the law. And the interesting thing about that combination, Lindsay, is, again, in our English Bibles, We've got Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, mm -hmm. Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, mm -hmm. all of these other books in the, in the middle mm -hmm. before we get to Isaiah, mm -hmm. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on. Mm -hmm. So by having those books back-to-back, -back, Joshua through mm -hmm. Second Kings, then picking up with Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., we have that, that commentary on the mm -hmm. narrative, as you're saying. Yeah, and it makes it a lot clearer when it's, when it's like this, because so often people can read the prophets and think they're just out there floating individually, but really they're, they're linked to the history mm -hmm. that, that they just mm -hmm. followed. And then, so you've got the narrative commentary, and then when you get to the writings, it goes in reverse order. You have commentary and then narrative. So the narrative actually picks up at the end of the writings. Mm -hmm. So you've got Psalms and, and the other poetic books being more um, poetical and commentary, and then you have the books picking up, such as Esther and Daniel and... Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles, they pick up the narrative again, 
and the place where kings ended is in exile and the place where these begin is the return from exile and mm -hmm. then during the exile and the return from exile so they really sort of go in this sort of narrative commentary commentary narrative order which sets us up perfectly for the narrative to begin in the new testament in matthew right and so with this order of narrative ending this section here it really anticipates the narrative to continue in the new testament that the old testament on its own is actually a story that's awaiting an ending Right. It leaves you in expectation that this, this can't be it. There's got to be more to the story. Mm, definitely. Yeah, that's great. Lindsay, if I can back up a little bit too, um, let's talk about the connection between the books of the law, the first five books, and the books of Joshua through Kings. Now, we can even see this in our English Bibles because they're essentially the same order. There's only one difference there, which I'll get to in a moment. The uh, the books of the Torah, the first five books, the Law of Moses, are seen as the foundation. Uh, they are the authority. God spoke through Moses, and it is based on the law then that everything flows uh, from that source. And so how do we know books like Joshua, Samuel, Kings, etc. are inspired? Well, do they reflect the revelation as seen in the Law of Moses? And Actually, what these books end up doing then is comparing the life of the people of Israel against the law of Moses. Are they being obedient to God? Are they being disobedient to God? And of course, certain books we see the obedience as in Joshua. Books like Judges, we see the disobedience. But they're all commentaries on the life of the people uh, measured up against the law of Moses. And of course, sadly, the story ends with repeated unfaithfulness That's explaining right. why they find themselves in exile right and why there is a need for this story to continue otherwise it has a, a very sad ending to it uh, now if I could talk a little bit more about the significance of why the books from Joshua to Kings are labeled as prophetic books and this is where I think we can begin to see why it makes a difference uh, to examine the, the Hebrew mindset when they looked at these books, we approach them as historical. And uh, Lindsay, you and I would certainly assert that these books are historical. Mm -hmm. But when you look at them in terms of being part of the former prophets, it gives you a new perspective. They are not just a history. They are a prophetic history. And what we mean by that is that we're not simply speaking about prophecy in terms of predicting the future. Although we do find in these books prophets who are predicting future events, but we're also speaking about prophecy in the sense of speaking a direct word to the people. As you go through Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, you begin to see that God's word is constantly coming to the people in the form of prophets. Sometimes the angel of the Lord appears to people and delivers God's word to them. But in every book, this theme of the word of God coming to the people through prophets or a divine intermediary uh, is very consistent. And it ties these books together. And now we're not just saying, oh, we're learning a bunch of old facts about history. But we're beginning to see that there's a message that connects these books, which has to do with the importance of following the word of God and listening to the word of God. What happens to people when they're obedient? What happens when they're disobedient? And from that, 
we look at their lives and we begin to learn how to apply the same principles in our own lives. Mm. So that's the difference it can make looking at these books as the former prophets as opposed to simply historical books. But Lindsay, what about the writings? Does it make a difference looking at the Hebrew uh, order of the writings? Yeah, I think that it does. I think it does make a difference. It Again, this is one of the most unique differences, I think, with the Hebrew Old Testament is because a lot of books that we had scatter throughout the English Old Testament, they're all combined together in one unit here. So you have Daniel, and then you also have Chronicles, and then you also have Psalms. And you think, why, why are these all put together? But there's a few, I think, differences that I, I want to draw out here. One would be that Psalms, by putting the Psalms in where they are, at this point in the story, the Psalms, they're not just looking back into Israel's history, but by placing them where they are, and also knowing that the Psalms as a book was finished just slightly after the exile period. Mm -hmm. It means that rather than merely looking back and saying, well, wasn't it great back then when we had David <laughs> and so on, but these words of David talking about his kingship and kingdom and everything he expects to come through it, we didn't see all these promises fulfilled. So now this book, by placing it here, we can see this is looking forward, really. This mm -hmm. is looking forward to everything that God has promised through the latter prophets and, and anticipating a new David and a new David who would go through similar experiences to the first David. And even some of the Psalms now take on more of a prophetic perspective, mm. maybe even more so than they did originally. But now that they're in this order, in this placement, that really brings a new light to them. Another example would be the book of Job. Some people see the book of Job as merely an, an allegory or a parable of Israel in exile. And I definitely don't want to affirm that. I don't think that's quite right. I do think it's a, it's a historical story. I think it's presented as a true story through poetry and all sorts of other things like mm -hmm. that, but that there really is something true to it. But by placing it again in this placement, it highlights, I think, when a, when a Jew would be reading this book, by seeing it in the placement that it's in, they would resonate, it would resonate with them saying, boy, this is a lot like us. We are, especially the faithful Jew who's, who's staying true to the to word of God would say, I'm feeling just like Job. I've done everything right. I'm following the Lord. And why am I going through this? And maybe the other nations or other people are saying, well, it's because you're, you're the worst. or <laughs> Your God is, not, is letting you down or, or you're terrible or however it is. But that they can find comfort in the book of Job in this time of exile. And that's very much how we read the book of Job. Right. Is that we, we don't say, this is my story, as in I'm going through the exact same thing. But we do relate to it, just as we do with the Psalms as well as is we're crying out to God just the same way. And I think one, one especially big difference would be with the book of Chronicles. So many people, including myself, I must admit, when we get to the book of Chronicles, often we think, really, it should have just said, reread Kings. <laughs> Go reread Kings and add some, add some genealogies at the beginning, just right. to make it even more appealing. You know? <laughs> and by placing it at, after Kings, it just seems like a redo. And, but by placing it here at the very end of, of the Old Testament, it changes the way we look at it because really the book of Kings is looking at how Israel was unfaithful, their kings were unfaithful and leading to the exile. But Chronicles, there's some key differences with the way that Chronicles sets everything up. First of all, it begins in Genesis, really. And it's it, interesting because we have those genealogies and as you're reading some of those beginning genealogies, you're like, oh, I've read this in Genesis before. Yeah. So there's some, not only are there some really fascinating connections with 
with Chronicles and Genesis, which we don't have time to get into now, but I encourage our listeners to look into that. So there's reasons to think that it should belong in the opposite end of the of the canon to Genesis, sort of bookending it. Mm-hmm. But also it, it has this gene- these genealogies. It doesn't pay much attention at all to Saul. It doesn't pay much attention to the northern kingdoms. It really focuses on Judah, the line of David, even so much so that David is... He's not really interested, the chronicler is not really interested in focusing on David's sins and unfaithfulness. Mm-hmm. A lot of these stories are, are omitted, not that they're whitewashing David, but that they're looking at God's faithfulness rather than focusing on David's unfaithfulness. Mm-hmm. And they're, by say, putting it this way, we're saying, we want this to be fulfilled. God has promised this line, and that gives us hope for the future. So rather than looking back at the terrible history, it's actually looking forward to the future, even so much so that the book ends with Cyrus saying, you can go back to the land. And that's right. how it ends. And that really leads just perfectly into the New Testament, especially the book of Matthew, which, that's right, it does. which picks up with genealogies again. And it talks about Jesus and counts his genealogy in terms of the exile and return well, the, from exile. You know, that, and that last example with Chronicles really shows me how significant the, the difference in outlook can be depending where a particular book is placed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the order of the Hebrew Bible or our English Bibles. Interestingly enough, this is another surprise, is that it follows Ezra and Nehemiah, which is strange because historically Ezra and Nehemiah, the return is already happening. Our right. Chronicles is saying the return is about to happen. Yeah. So it's a bit unusual <laughs> that it would end with that return is about to happen. But I think by putting it there, you've got Ezra, Nehemiah, then Chronicles. I mm-hmm. think it's really saying we're still waiting. We're right. still anticipating everything. Because when you read Ezra and Nehemiah... It's good, they're returning, but it's nothing like what they expect. Mm-hmm. And all of these promises are still waiting to be fulfilled. So it leaves you on this cliffhanger ending of the return from exile is still waiting to really fully be accomplished. And then we see these sorts of things being fulfilled in Jesus and the New Testament. And so it really just fits in perfectly at the end there. Great. So, Lindsay, you, you mentioned this toward the beginning, and just in case uh, our listeners uh, overlooked it, I want to reiterate it again. We're not saying that we should throw our English Bibles no, out definitely not. Uh, and that the order is all wrong. Mm-hmm. We're simply saying that the Hebrew order is different, and it gives us a, a way to compare the various ways in which the Scripture has been ordered. And when we look at the Hebrew order, we get a little different insight into uh, the message of the Bible as opposed to the order that we're used to in our English Bible. And unfortunately, you can't even necessarily recommend any Bible that follows this order. It's, we don't it's have one yet, no. do we? Unless you read Hebrew exactly. and you can pick course, up a Hebrew that, Bible. That would be the ideal. Go learn Hebrew yeah. <laughs> and come back for the next episode. But really, I'm still, I'm still hoping that a publisher will release one that follows this Old Testament order. Um, but that's not to say that our English orders is anything wrong. In fact... That's the last thing we want to do is cause our, our listeners to think there's this distance between them and the Bible now. And that, that's the last thing we're trying to do in this episode and this podcast in general. But I do, I do think it, it helps if we think these way, this way. You can print out the Hebrew order, or put it in the beginning of your Bible and just refer back to it when mm-hmm. you're reading a book. Um, I could encourage you to read through your Bibles, maybe through as you read through in a year or if that's something you do, to read it in the Hebrew order for a change and see what difference it makes. I think when it comes down to it, if Jesus used this order and the apostles followed this order and we have no proof of them following the English order, mm-hmm. I would like to use this order. But I don't think it's, it's a matter of, of life and death or heresy and orthodoxy <laughs> right, or anything right. like that. 
but that it's just a it's a I think a beneficial way of of reading and thinking. So maybe we can get some online petitions going or something to <laughs> to petition for a publisher to bring out a book in an Old Testament in this order. Right. And uh, again, as you say, we can even take the the books in our English Bibles, but just enter them with the mindset. Oh, now when I'm reading Joshua, Judges, Kings, and so on, I'm thinking these are prophetic books. They're not simply historical. They're also prophetic. And the same with the uh, uh, points that you brought out about the various books contained in the writings. And so we can do this. It would be great if one day a publisher comes out with the books in this order just so that everyone can experience it uh, in the way that it was ordered in the Hebrew Bible. Mm. And the, really the thing is, as we're saying, that you can experience this now. Right. So why don't you go ahead. Go for it. And go for it. Print out an order, whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And yeah. we think that you'll, you'll get some unique insights through this. Yeah. All right. So we want to thank you again for joining us today in this episode of Beyond the Bible. Happy Bible reading, and uh, we hope and pray that this lesson has uh, been helpful to you, and we look forward to seeing you again in future episodes.